Sometimes, when struggling, you need a tangible reminder that you're not alone. You Don't Fight Alone offers the YDFA kit, a small set of items for comfort, grounding, and serenity. Visit ydfa.org kits to get your own completely free YDFA kit. Please be advised. We will be discussing subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences and will include subjects that some will find challenging, traumatic, or triggering. Welcome to You Don't Fight Alone, a podcast sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness and how we got here. It's so hard to say because I think with complex trauma, so uh, I don't know how much you know about CPTSD specifically, but um, so mine comes from, I was not a, a prisoner of war, like many people who have CPTSD. Uh, I have family of origin trauma, developmental trauma, and then on top of that, like uh, just a bunch of weird sort of incidents that come from, I don't know, poverty and unfortunate, like wrong place, wrong time stuff. And so I've had like this, I can identify things that I, I now see as like the result of trauma ranging back to when I was like seven, eight or nine. Like I, I had uh, this period when I was like nine or 10 where I wrote a bunch of like suicide notes. So very difficult to say what the rock bottom is. It's just that I hit a point where, and this, I've, I've seen this happen with a lot of folks that I know who are, have different, you know, we all find each other, our, our mentally ill brethren. Um, but uh, you know, you hit like 26, 27, 28, and it starts to hit a point where it's like, everybody's growing up around you. People are developing a certain, like people are growing out of their shitty coping mechanisms. People are gaining a sense of self. People are growing and maturing in these ways and everything feels like it's just not, it's not making sense for you because you're not able to do that when you have that, those unhealed wounds. And not in the same way, you can still grow and all that, but it just, it looks different. And at least I know that uh, for me, I looked around and I'm like, why is it that these people seem to be able to do all this basic stuff that I just can't, I can't get it together. Liz Aaron Price and my diagnosis is complex post-traumatic stress disorder and ADHD. I wandered around being very miserable for an extended period of time and I ended up going through a particularly terrible breakup um, in a very from a very toxic relationship and about I want to say like six months ish after that I was like I feel like I am extremely messed up and I actually don't understand why. And my motivator at the time was I was like, something's wrong with me and no one will tell me. Like everyone in my life is too nice to me to tell me what's wrong with me because <laughs> I keep asking all of them and they won't tell me what's wrong with me. So I decided to go to therapy. <laughs> 
And I opened my first therapy session with, I'm sorry, I'm seeing you because I need you to tell me what the hell is wrong with me. No one else will do it. And I'm paying you. So I assume that you're going to do it now. And uh, as it turns out, nothing's wrong with me. I just have a metric shit ton of trauma. So that's what happens. Well, I mean, I was just really unhappy, like, and, and really like, um, a big part of my trauma stuff is like, I've, I internalize it. You know what I mean? Like, like everything's my fault. Everything is bad. I'm a, I'm a monster. Uh, and so, I mean, so that's the thing. And also like this idea of, um, I'd really had this internalized narrative about how, you can't trust people who say that they love you and care about you and are being, you know, giving you feedback about what's going on with you or like the feedback might be, I mean, I don't think anything's wrong with you. You seem like you have a lot of anxiety, but like, you're not a monster. I wouldn't be your friend if, I, if, if you were a monster, you know, like who would, what, what are you talking about? Um, or like, I remember having this conversation with a good friend of mine being like, what's wrong with me? Why will no one tell me? And just like completely breaking down. And he was like, he's like, I think the only thing that's wrong with you is that you're really mean to yourself. Like you're the only thing I can see that's wrong here is that like, you're being so hard on yourself and like, it can't, like, I don't, I can't give you the answer you, I feel like the answer I have for you is not whatever it is that you're looking for. And I, we're having this disconnect. Um, so going to therapy, I, I, I had this. I mean, I, I I don't even know if it was an ex uh, an expectation as much as it was a paranoia that both a paranoia that like my worst fears were going to be confirmed, and also a paranoia that this person was going to say nothing's wrong with you. You're imagining it, which is almost worse. And I come from a family where, like, most of my a, – a disproportionate number of people on my dad's side of the family especially all have died through either, like, pure self-destructive, you know, through um, substance abuse issues. And, like, and like they knew they were going to die if they did not quit. And they, and they were like, I want to die, and then died. Um, or direct self-inflicted harm – um, and so it was like, I, I had these, the same feeling and felt like, oh my God, like it almost felt like a curse because of the generational trauma of having family member after family member die in this really terrible way. And most of them died when I was relatively young. I'm still not that old now and they've been dead a long time. And so it was like, I really need, I hit a point where I was like, I'm really, I'm, I'm going to die if I don't deal with this. I already had uh, an attempted suicide thing under my belt and I was really hitting a point where I was like, I'm, it's, it's going to be over. Like, this is very serious and I have to treat it like, um, I really have to treat this like it's an, it's an illness because I know what the inevitable outcome is if I don't, because I've already watched it happen to a bunch of people that I care about. I know that I am not handling this well. Like I am not equipped to handle whatever is happening here clearly because this is a shit show. And like, I, I don't know how other people feel, but it seems like it's not normal to like want to die all the time. And being that this had already happened, I've already watched 
that the impact of not like no one else in my family who passed away, none of them even tried to do this. Some of that's generational. Some of that's ego. There's a lot of different reasons for that. But none of them actually gave it an effort. And I had a point where I was like, I have to try the thing that supposedly works for other people that, I mean, I don't know if it's going to work or not. I don't know what's going to be on the other side of that. Maybe it'll be totally useless. But like, I really don't want to die in the same way that all these other people have died. I also feel like a pretty heavy responsibility to break the cycle, I guess. So I don't know that there was as much self-awareness as you are giving me credit for. It was more like I got to do the thing that supposedly people outside this circle of absolute fuckery have, you know, have not given a given a shot to. I get, but everybody else says it works, so I got to give it a shot. Okay, let's do it. So, um, I feel like there are these long stretches where, and this is part of the dormancy, where part of recovery is you're doing all this work, you're doing all this stuff, you're doing all these little things day to day, week to week, that's supposedly moving you forward, right? But it doesn't feel like it. You're just like, well, I'm doing all this crap and I, is it working? I have absolutely no idea. And then all of a sudden, you're moving. And to me, in my head, this is where the mixed analogy comes in. I think of it as like you're swimming in a pool and it feels like someone is like you're swimming, you're swimming, you're swimming, and someone's holding the back of your bathing suit. So you're like treading water, basically. You're swimming as hard as you can and you are going absolutely nowhere. And then all of a sudden, one day they let go of your suit and you're like, boom, out of there. And like, as you're doing it, you're swimming along and you're like, oh, whoa, 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 I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. So that to me is, it's the same thing. Like that, that growth is that, that dormancy during the winter, you're cultivating all of those things. You're in that sort of still place where you're not dead. You're not really going anywhere either. But then spring comes, again, mixing the analogies here. You let go of your bathing suit, got let go of, you're off, you're growing, you're blooming, you're doing all the beautiful things. My mom is a really wonderful person and tried her absolute best and does love me like all that, that, that none of those things are questions for me, but has a lot of her own unresolved trauma. Um, as did my dad, both, both sides of my family, like just, just profound, profound trauma. And they're, my parents are both boomers. They were raised at a time when it's, was not acceptable to go, you know, to, to even talk about the, this kind of stuff. Um, a lot of it was really normalized, a lot of normalized abuse, abusive behaviors, normalized, that sort of thing. And unfortunately that's they let all of that fall into my plate. And, you know, there's dysfunction on both sides of that, right? Like they're the parent, there's more power there. But of course, there are ways that in which I reacted to that, especially in my like early 20s that were not what I would call 
great behavior. I've never done it. I, to my knowledge that I, if I'm remembering correctly, I've never done anything like exceedingly heinous, but I've certainly done harmful shit, right? Everyone has, everybody has the capacity for harm. And so my, my, I mean, my dad passed away, so we're doing no repair work. He's dead. But my mom and I, we had, you know, um, we had periods of time where we went no contact and really I, I had a period of time where especially when I was really digging into um, a lot of childhood stuff, I had to not speak to her just because the whole thing was way too triggering. I was like, I can't, I can't do this, this thing with you and also do this work. Like I'm too vulnerable. It's too much. I can't balance it. And then we ended up getting back in contact and we've spent the last few years rebuilding our relationship. And that's something that it's required effort on both sides. Like she really did a lot of her own reflection and she apologized and took full accountability for her part in things, which I have to be honest is something I absolutely never thought that was going to happen because that's like trauma traumatized child urban legend shit. And then on my end, though, that required also like processing feelings of resentment or processing um, residual anger, you know, and actually like doing the work of forgiving someone, which is work. It's not something that is easy or straightforward. Um, there certainly has been other repair work in my life where like I have a, a number of friends who I've known since I was a teenager where we kind of all had similar the dysfunction looked different but we all came from dysfunctional families so we like bonded together and we all you know lived in this small town we were all interested in the arts we sort of gravitated toward one another and of course if you have a bunch of traumatized teenagers from dysfunctional homes there is inevitably going to be damage inflicted on each other because that's how that works and um, one of the beautiful things about living long enough to know people for a long time is that you have the opportunity to revisit those relationships, to talk about what happened, to gain the tools to take accountability and to apologize and to, you know, better assert yourself, have better boundaries, all that stuff. had this huge moment, huge, huge, huge moment recently. So my, my dad's, the, the 13th anniversary of my dad's death uh, was March 8th. So recently. And in the weeks leading up to it, you know, I mean, he's, he's been gone a long time and we were, we were very close. He was like, I mean, when I was a teenager, I'd call him and we'd talk on the phone for two, two hours a day, like even when I was a teenager, which I'm like, what teenage girl is like, yeah, I'm going to call my dad and talk to him for hours and like about whatever. Um, and we were very close up until the last couple years of his life when his alcoholism, he just completely went off the rails and got really mean and soup and, uh, you know, all the things that come with that. It was just an absolute wreck and really devastating. And, um, you know, then he died. And it's been a long time. It's been over a decade. Like the first, you know, if you've lost anyone very close to you, the first few years are absolutely impossibly difficult. 
and anniversaries are absolutely like the day is completely ruined. And then as you get, at least in my experience, as you get further away from it, it starts to get like, it starts to become a crapshoot where like, yeah, okay. So sometimes it's totally fine. It's, it's another day. You still remember them and miss them and love them and all of those things, but you know, they're gone. <laughs> it's just another day. It's okay. Um, but this one, and then other ones are are really a crusher. And this last one was really a crusher. Like the the weeks leading up to it, I was having a absolute hell of a time. Um, largely because I, I'm sure also exacerbated by pandemic uh, and all of these other things that have been happening. It's been a very terrible and stressful year for so many of us. And part of, I I had this really intense anger and I couldn't figure out why, because I was like, you know, it's normal when you're grieving to be really angry. And right after his death, I was so just outrageously pissed. Um, And really there is a specific kind of torture in being pissed at someone you cannot call and say you are an asshole to. There's really like, it's truly, truly like its own circle of hell. Um, but I, you know, I'd mostly gotten past that. You know, I, I feel generally pretty at peace with things. And so the, all of this anger that came up, I was just like, I don't understand what this is about. So, okay. So I ended up writing a really long essay and like bawling through the whole thing, which is a very normal, healthy behavior. Highly recommend. Writing is great. It's really wonderful for you and for your well-being. Um, <laughs> but... I wrote this long essay and I realized, I was like, part of the reason I'm so angry is that I really feel the weight of this burden with, I've felt the weight of this burden that my, I feel like my family has like bestowed upon me that so many of them are dead and they didn't have to die. They died really early. My, um, my, my dad's mom died of alcohol poisoning and like she had been hospitalized for alcohol poisoning before that. She knew she was going to die and she just, she straight up told my dad she wanted to die. Um, My dad died of uh, congestive heart failure related to chronic uh, alcohol abuse. My uncle, my dad's little brother, died by suicide, completed suicide um, when I was a little kid. Like all of these people, they died very young. They died you know, my dad, I think, was the oldest of the bunch and he was 52. I think his mom was around the same age, not much older if she was. And like, I feel like it's a pretty heavy responsibility. I'm like, not only did you leave me with the the burden of dealing with all of this, but also you left me here by myself. And that sucks. And I promise I'm getting to the point. Uh, basically, I realized that not only am I pissed about having that burden. But I, I, you know, while I was doing all this recovery work, while I was going to therapy and doing the support groups and reading these books and doing all this stuff, I actually didn't know that there was another side. Like I kind of just thought that I was trying to, um, I guess like trying to manage something that I thought would be with me forever. I thought I was going to feel suicidal forever for every single day of the rest of my life. And that what I was trying to do is just basically get tools to not actually follow through. Turns out 
um, after doing all of this extensive work, I don't feel that way almost ever anymore. I don't. It's gone. Like, not that it hasn't occurred to me. I'm certainly capable of going to a dark place still, because that's how my brain is wired, but I'm on the other side. And so the big breakthrough for me was realizing that, like, I'm so pissed about the fact that, like, none of these people even tried. And I'm the one who had to figure out that if you actually try, I mean, again, your mileage may vary, but like for me, I actually tried. I put in the work. I went to this uncharted territory for my, you know, people. And like, turns out this was totally doable. This is totally doable. And that's like my breakthrough moment, I guess, recently. It's like pretty big deal stuff. So CPTSD and ADHD have a lot of overlapping symptoms. Part of recovery, and like also uh, being a woman with ADHD, it's very common for you to not get diagnosed until way later, which is such a drag because basically you just spend your entire existence feeling like you're a failure for your inability to have like normal executive functioning. Um, but what I've learned, a big thing is that uh, the trauma recovery had to be put into motion before the ADHD could really be addressed because figuring out which of those overlapping overlapping symptoms, which thing they belong to, uh, has required that recovery work because the ADHD thing, like it's a it's a neurodivergence, it's the way your brain works. There's no cure for it. You're just working around it. Whereas trauma can be improved, right? Trauma, the symptoms of any kind of trauma anxiety disorder can be lessened, I guess. Um, so, but one thing I did realize that is definitely a relatively recent breakthrough, uh, is that I realized how much the, the trauma self-esteem stuff was fueling, um, my difficulties with executive dysfunction because as it turns out, like, executive dysfunction is terrible in general. Like just it, the inability to do really basic things like the dishes on a regular basis where you're like this kind of going back to what you were saying, where you're like, this is like basic adult stuff. Like, why is it that I just can't like keep my shit together? This is just, this really terrible. Just is so frustrating. It's, especially cause you're like, I'm not like, I want, I desperately want to do it and I can't do it. Um, but I realized that, the the self-esteem spiral that comes with those executive dysfunction struggles actually makes them like it it uh it exacerbates them profoundly and so my big thing lately has been all about the the small wins and figuring out ways to like if i do a little it's better than doing none and also being uh, using essentially mindfulness to like break through that. What um, so there's this great writer Jennifer 
Peepus, and her she, her blog is Captain Awkward. She's amazing. I can, truly cannot recommend enough. But she writes a lot about mental health and neurodivergence, and she writes basically an advice column. Um, and she calls it the that inner critical voice. She calls it the jerk brain. And so my big thing has been figuring out like how to interrupt the jerk brain before it becomes the the totally derailed, like so deep down the hole it's impossible to get out of thing. And that's been my my recent ADHD breakthrough. Well, ADHD looks like I still have a sink full of dishes that I need to do. Uh, <laughs> and also, I mean, I, I have to be really on top of my management. So like I use, I use an app called Dailyo that I just started using that's actually really great, super flexible, but I check in a few times a day. And I have my, um, you know, I have all my tasks. I have my my goals set for the week and things that I, I really prioritize in terms of what's negotiable, what's not negotiable, what are the things I have to do and figuring that out um, on a day-to-day basis. Also doing the thing of whenever being really aware of when I start to get that like overwhelmed panicky feeling about like not being able to get stuff done or whatever, being super on top of paying attention to that. Like, because that's just a one-way ticket to becoming couch-locked and completely feral, uh, which, you know, can be fun in small doses, but isn't like a way to live a life. And then the CPTSD, the big thing is just um, being super, super gentle about when stuff comes up. At this point, it's I've now had enough practice that when I do get triggered, like I know I'm getting triggered almost immediately, which never was is totally like was if you talked to me five years ago, I would have had no ability to do that almost at all. <laughs> and so I know almost immediately. And then I also know that depending on the severity of it, like what are the next steps I need to take? And so depending on what kind of trigger it is, because there are different types of flashbacks, um, depending on what kind of flashback it is, how bad it is, like, am I doing triage? Because if I'm doing triage, then the first thing is to make sure that I, I need to calm all the way down or at least get below the threshold. If it's like a low key trigger and I just sort of don't feel good, that looks totally different. It's not as dire. But knowing that means that my day-to-day life is actually relatively normal at this point. Like it's not the biggest thing I have that that is a consistent problem that the only solution for is medication, which is a bummer, is um, I still get trauma nightmares, especially when I'm stressed or if I have been triggered. So even if I'm handling the like conscious impact of being triggered, the nightmares I get are really terrible, super violent, very, very intense and like ruin my whole day and also cause um, extreme fatigue because I'm not getting the right amount of sleep. And I just can't without, you know, knocking myself out. So that's really at this point, the biggest day-to-day impact. That's just truly hellish. One, I think that if you really want to be supportive of somebody who has a complex post-traumatic stress disorder, you need to be on top of taking care of your own shit. You need to be healthy because the thing is, it's really, um, 
you need to have good boundaries. Like I know that for me, some of the the biggest best influences in my life are people who have had really really strong boundaries with me. I have a good friend of mine who I who I've known forever who like five or six years ago when I was having like constant anxiety spirals and I'd be texting him and being like, I'm freaking out. Like, you know, whatever, having a total meltdown. He would straight up, he also has really severe anxiety. And sometimes he would straight up say to me like, Hey, I love you and I care about you and I support you and I want to be here for you. But your anxiety spiral is making my anxiety spiral. So I have to go for the night. I will check back in with you tomorrow or the next day, like set a firm time consistency, but would just straight up be like, I have to go take care of myself now because I, I've, I've hit the limit of how much I have to offer here. And I'm really sorry. Love you. Gotta go. And then he would. And like that, doing that, like it, it was so great because even in the moment when I'm like, oh God, my friend's not talking to me. Like maybe he hates me now. And like my anxiety spirals continuing without him. Uh, but now he's integrated. But the thing is, it was such a great example of somebody who is saying, hey, I care about you. I want to be supportive of you, but I also need to take care of myself. And the fact that you're having, like, it was a great way to demonstrate how to do that. It's allowed me to, by watching him and having him do that with me, I've been able to do that with other people. It's hugely healing, at least in my experience. So I think that you have to be making sure that you're on top of your own stuff. I also think that one thing that happens a lot is, and this is not always conscious, but there is definitely a narrative about trauma survivors, the the whole damaged goods narrative. And there's also a lot of like misogyny and stuff that can get exact, you know, make it worse. It's the whole thing. But I really like, I would invite you to, talk to anyone who is 45 or older and actually like listen to what's happened to them because everyone at some point has a serious trauma happen. None of us come out of this life without some kind of profound trauma. That is not a thing. There is no one who is untouched by this. And so if you are lucky enough to have not have a childhood that had a ton of trauma or not have an early adulthood that had a ton of trauma. That's amazing. But bad news, it's coming for you. It's only a matter of time. And it would behoove you to not view people like we're not vases. We're humans. We're very resilient. We all end up going through a bunch of garbage because living is very hard and difficult. And unfortunately, living with other people is harder and difficult than just living, period. We're all in this, I mean, this is corny, but we're all in this together. Like, if you feel like you are viewing any kind of, any person who has gone through something terrible in a dehumanizing way, in a way in which you are, you know, um writing them off because of a reaction you maybe don't understand I really I would I would suggest that you check in with your own humanity think about the worst thing that's ever happened to you and how you would feel if somebody in the wake of that if somebody treated you that same way if they wrote you off as nothing better than a a broken vase that needs to be swept into the trash And I think if you want to support trauma survivors, you need to really be in touch with your own humanity. 
Yeah, so I'm a working artist and I'm a writer who doesn't write enough. And I also have my own podcast. So you can find my art, uh, bestingbetty.com, B-E-S-T-I-N-G, Betty, like the name, .com. Also, you can find me everywhere on social media at bestingbetty. And if you are ever into taking a very chill, low pressure, no pressure writing workshop that is on a sliding scale and very affordable, I run them a few times a year. You don't need any writing experience. It's super cathartic and a lot of fun. And that's all. You can find all that info on my website as well. And then I have a podcast with my friend Brianna. We are both artists who are neurodivergent as hell, as we say. And we're on a little mini hiatus right now just because we had a lot of stuff going on. But we're coming back in a couple of weeks. It's called Get Out of My Way. And it's a podcast about creativity and mental health. It's mostly just Brianna and I, but we also have some guests on. And we've had our last episode, uh, both of our guest episodes were amazing. The first one we had Jolie Holland, who's an internationally renowned musician and absolutely amazing. She also did our theme song. And then our second one was with Emily D. D Warfield, and she's an incredible writer and scene maker. And we talk a lot about um, the use of storytelling in trauma recovery. Search for Get Out of My Way or... um, very gracelessly on Twitter, it's uh, Goom W Pod because our name was too long. I would, depending on how old younger me is in this case, man, I would tell her she is really fucking cool, even though she doesn't think so, and that she's gonna be okay, but she just has to get through it. And I would tell her that her friend was right and she's much too mean to herself. And that it's definitely gonna get better. She's gonna be like a thousand times more awesome than she can even imagine, which is so great. For more information and to donate, please visit You Don't Fight Alone. The You Don't Fight Alone podcast is a production of You Don't Fight Alone Incorporated, produced and engineered by James Fisher and Keaton Lycom. The information presented by You Don't Fight Alone is not intended as medical advice. If you have mental health questions, please talk to a mental health professional.